Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hello, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I have a special guest, Amber Trueblood. She is the author of The Unflustered Mom. Now, I am going to let her introduce herself a little bit more. Hello, Amber. Hi, Kathleen. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm so glad you could join me. We've been trying to get this organized for quite a while. I'm glad we finally get to do this today. (laughs) We made it happen. I love it. And I appreciate your flexibility and all of that. You know, summertime can be really stressful and triggering, you know, for parents. So, you know, it's it's a lot. And I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in and introduce myself. I am Amber Trueblood. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm mom to four boys. So summer is a lot right now. They are 10, 12, 14, and 15 years old. And we live in San Diego, just north of San Diego. Wow. Yeah. Summer is really busy when you have many children. I know what that's like. We just finished our family camp that we have every year um, with all my kids and now grandkiddos. So, yeah. Oh, fun. How fun. Yeah. I kept thinking, I thought summers would be like, you know, getting easier as the boys got older. And it just, and I know this, right? It just gets different, right? There's just different challenges. So, um, and in the past we were homeschooling. This was our first year back at traditional school in in quite a while. And so in the past, like the transition between like school and summer was like non-existent. It was like, well, it's just like the weather's different, but we don't really do that many things that are different. This year it was, you know, a whole different ball of wax. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that transition, just doing things differently is like, and I know, well, We'll get into our topic here in a second. I'll just say this last thing. I know for me, I love schedules and summer is Mm -hmm. more difficult because there aren't as many schedules. Yeah. And as parents, you know, even if you're not like that, even if you're not, you know, like I would say executive style and when we delve into these anxiety styles is more, you know, very schedule oriented feels very much more secure and safe when they know what's coming and they can plan ahead. Even if you're not like that as a parent, but one of your children (laughs) is like that and they don't, I mean, I have a couple kids like that, that I know, you know, would love to have, you know, organized things to do every single day and have it structured and have goals 
And the way our family works right now, it's just, it's so much more loosey goosey than that. And that can cause a lot of anxiety in our kids. Exactly. And I had to do that scheduling thing a lot for several of my kiddos during the summer to put make a schedule for them yes. and yeah. write everything on the whiteboard so they knew what to expect. Even if it was we're swimming in the pool after lunch mm-hmm. on the whiteboard, they know it's happening. So yeah. yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about your journey into writing this book, The Unflustered Mom, and just what you do. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, what I do. I like to help moms <laughs> with with practical strategies to reduce stress and anxiety and overwhelm, both preventatively, like what can you do just on a daily or weekly basis to help what I call raise your emotional bank account? Because mm-hmm. inevitably, you're going to be triggered, there are going to be challenges, there're going to be issues that come up, right? Cuz Right. This is you're you're human and you live in a world with other people and other environments and so it's going to happen. So what can you do preventatively to raise your emotional bank account so that you can better deal with the things when they come up? And then what can you do in the moment? Because sometimes <laughs> you can have all the preventative strategies uh, possible at your disposal and you're still going to have those moments of anxiety or overwhelm or sadness or anger or frustration and what do you do in the moment? So I love to cultivate, gather, create, try on myself, uh, all of these various strategies and then I like to share them with parents and this, and I also write books. So what I do in my books is I try to create a framework. So this last book called The Unflustered Mom presents a framework called the five anxiety styles that helps people to just better understand what your core drivers are and why, you know, something that might trigger you might be like a day in the park to your partner or one of your kids or your mother-in-law and what might fill you up and get you really excited about life might be super stressful to somebody else. <laughs> and you're like, wait, right. this is a good thing. Why are you all stressed out or vice versa? So The five anxiety styles framework is something so that you can help better understand yourself so that you can better meet your your emotional needs. And then you can better bolster your emotional bank accounts so that you have that resilience to deal with whatever might come in the future. Yeah, that and that's really good. I was telling Amber, I was almost late for this podcast, even though I'm sitting in my <laughs> office, because I was reading the book. I took the anxiety style quiz a um, couple weeks ago, actually. And then today I was I was going over the book, you know, preparing. And then it's like, I have to read that chapter <laughs> on the fighter right now because I need it right now. And it was... I was really getting so into it that I lost track of time, but it was definitely 100% spot on for me. Yep. Well, that's beautiful to hear. I really appreciate it because, you know, my goal is to help moms because in my book, that's the best way I can help the entire planet, really. Yes. (laughs) Because I think if we have healthy moms that we're more likely to have healthy and emotionally resilient children. And if we have healthy, emotionally resilient children, then we have a whole next generation of people that believe in their self-worth, that are self-confident, that can communicate clearly, that can problem solve effectively, that can, you know, pay more attention and be more in the moment and, and, you know, um, 
and I think all of those things will lead our planet to a better future. So in my book, like it starts with parents that are most, you know, emotionally healthy as possible. Right. And I know that you've kind of answered this question, but I'll just give you an opportunity to say more on this is, you know, why is this relevant for parents? Why is this relevant for trauma-informed parents? I'll stick that in there too. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, and I, no, I love that you did. And I love that you mentioned fighter already. So let me mention all five just so people have a Good. little bit of, uh, so we have the lover, the fighter, the executive, the visionary, and the dynamo. And each one of these styles has different, like I said, emotional triggers. So different things are going to drive you at your core. You're going to make decisions differently. So, you know, um, executives and dynamos tend to make decisions more from their practical logical mind, right? They're up here in their head a lot. Whereas Mm -hmm. lovers and fighters and visionaries tend to make decisions more from their gut, more from their heart, right? They tend to be more, um, well, and then differently, like some of these tend to be more in the moment, right? Really good Mm -hmm. at being in the moment. Fighters and, um, and lovers both are really good at being kind of in the moment and also in the past. Whereas visionaries and dynamos and executives tend to be more forward oriented. They tend to be more focused on the present. I mean, sorry, on the future and being in the present can be actually more challenging for them. Mm. So each of these has different core, you know, core drivers, emotional triggers. They also each have different, what I call superhero traits. So when you develop this anxiety style, it's also informing where you flourish, like where you are really gifted And Mm. this is important for two things. It's important for everybody to acknowledge, like, where are your gifts? What are you really good at? Like, are you really good at organizing and and you're very loyal and trustworthy and dependable? Or are Mm. you amazing at really enjoying the moment and appreciating the present moment and connecting with people? And, and are you really intuitive about people's moods and, and you can really read people well, or are you very um, good at accomplishing things, setting your goals and accomplishing them in a strategic, like super efficient manner, right? Mm -hmm. All of these are wonderful things, but it's unlikely you're great at all of them. So where are your gifts? Let's stop and like really acknowledge and celebrate those. Mm-hmm. And then like with that, part of it is acknowledging that like not everybody is as good at those things as you are. And that's okay. Like they're good at other things, but let's not expect them to be as innately good at those things as you are because those are your superhero traits. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. In fact, I kind of stumbled in that in the wrong direction in what you're just talking about because I was helping some parents and I've kind of I kind of get parents that come to me once the house is on fire so to speak Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was talking to my husband and I was saying well you know because I love research I love taking courses and digging into the effects of trauma and how to recover from trauma and Mm -hmm. I just kind of said well why can't they just do some research Right. Yeah. But it's Hello? like so uh, simple, right? <laughs> no, because first right. of all, their I'm, house I'm is sarcastic. on fire. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Their house is on fire, so to speak. They're not getting out a course and or reading a book, or they're just like, oh, oh my gosh, help me. And because that is one of my strengths, because right. I can really dig in, obviously, and lose track of time while I'm doing it. 
yeah. Then, yeah. Then, then it's my responsibility to do that to help people. So, and exactly. I think that's a great thing about your strengths is they're not just for you. Yeah. You know, it's not just like working out so you get bigger muscles or whatever. You're working out so that you can do more, have more energy, help more people. And right. I research so that I can take that, extract the information, simplify it, and put it out there in little tiny bites so that people can learn and grow so I can encourage, educate, and equip other people. Beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, and I want to delve in too, because I know we don't have time to delve into each one specifically, but I, I think that if we delve into fighter a little bit, I think that would maybe benefit your audience the most and give them an idea of like how much detail the book goes into in each of the areas. Does that sound good? That sounds perfect. Plus I can take notes while you talk. Okay. <laughs> so for fighters, you know, it's, it's interesting because what can be emotionally triggering to a fighter, um, is sometimes surprising to people who are not fighters. So mm. where fighters can feel most anxious is sometimes when everything is quiet, when everything is good, when everything is kind of going smoothly. That mm-hmm. can be very, very unsettling for fighters because they tend to identify themselves as survivors. They tend to have been in a situation in their life where they had to become their own protector, where they had to um, develop their own strengths and not depend on other people, right? right? So their defenses are up and they often become really good at it and become so good at it that... Um, when they see an injustice in the world or a bullying situation or, or an unfairness of any kind, it is very ingrained in them to move toward it, to protect the underling, to protect, you know, to say their piece, to stand up for people um, in a way that maybe people did not stand up for them when they needed it, Right. Right. And so, which is beautiful, right? This is beautiful caretaking sort of impulsion. However, that can be exhausting. Mm. That can be draining if you're fighting not only your own battles, but you're fighting everybody else's battles. And you might be also so much more comfortable in the chaos that sometimes fighters will poke at things because I, you know, I'm going to speak for a fighter now, you know, I'd rather know what's coming and be in it than like be anticipating something Mm. bad. Like that feels very uncomfortable. So I might poke at a new relationship so that I know your limits. I know what you're capable of because right now you seem all nice and everybody's just fine, but I know that won't last and that makes me nervous. So I'm going to poke at it and that might, you know, look like, you know, relationships that go up and are really, really great and then get really, really difficult or, um, and, and have a lot of ups and downs in your relationship or in your career or in your financial life. And so, you know, my hope for fighters and the tools and strategies that I recommend for fighters are all along this, this kind of line of how do I to one and two things, one become more and more comfortable when things are good. Hmm. And know that not only do I deserve, you know, to have things go good and smooth, but sometimes that can also feel boring. 
Hmm. Right? It's right. just like, ugh, this is so boring. Yeah. So how can I still feel that excitement in life, that kind of adrenaline surge that comes with life's challenges and fighting the bad guy um, or protecting, you know, the underling? How can I still get that feeling of, you know, that adrenaline high, so to speak, but in a healthier way? How do I become the chooser of it so it's not things coming at me, but I choose when I want to fight. So maybe I sign up for, you know, sprint marathons when I've never run or swam a day in my life, you know, (laughs) um, or decide to play the guitar or decide to plan a trip to a foreign country where they don't speak English and I don't speak the language and I'm just going to throw myself in it. And that sounds exciting, but it's safe. It's not something that's going to cause me long-term, you know, financial or emotional harm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. It does. So it's it's becoming more conscious, like you're the boss of what challenges you face in your life. So that it's not that they're you're attracting them or they're coming to you or you're unconsciously causing havoc in your life. But right. that you begin to choose when you want challenge and what areas of your life challenge that you want challenge in and where maybe you are exhausted and you don't want to have financial challenge anymore mm-hmm. or you don't want to have relationships that are unhealthy anymore and learning to get to that point where you're feeling more and more comfortable with a bunch of friends that are wonderful and support you and love you and are kind to you you know or a relationship where you feel valued and safe and respected. Right. I think that fighters, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, tend to get themselves in relationships where the the other person that you're befriending needs a lot of help because then you feel like, uh, you, you know, you need to do something to help them. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I For will sure. also add, like, just kind of extrapolating this and putting to a, a child who's experienced trauma these fighters are doing the same thing because they're like, everybody else has left me, so I'm going to poke you, yes. poke the bear, until you yeah. leave me too. And then the skill that we want to teach them is exactly what you just said, is like, hey, let's choose some challenges. Instead yeah. of you waiting for the world to collapse on you again, hey, do you want to join track or you want to be on the swim team? Let's let's do some challenges like you just take my boys rappelling and train them for yes. a bike ride that they went on with my brother that was like 120 miles. Okay, so I oh only trained gosh. like 10 yeah. miles at a time. That was my limit. But, you know, and they just like thrived in those situations because they were already fighting. They had fought for their whole life. Yes. You know, and so we changed that. And one of those sons is not only a paramedic, but he trains paramedics. And Amazing. he lives on that adrenaline, and he also takes his kayak over waterfalls and things like that, too. So, um, Right. But the alternative is, you know, is really scary. So, you know, the fighters I've known in my life do tend to live a life of extremes. So they go from maybe alcoholic, you know, tendencies to not alcoholic, you know, not drinking at all. And also now they're vegan and they're changing jobs and they're starting a new career and they're, you know, and that's, and that's very common. And so if you can learn to be the 
you know, that you're the decider and it comes with these amazing talents, right? This ability to like try new things and step into uncomfortable situations and address challenges and address people that other people might, you know, run away from. Right. Those are beautiful things. So it's a matter of, you know, acknowledging those amazing qualities that you've developed and using them for the the most amount of good in your life as possible. And like you said, instead of, um, you know, drawing to yourself unhealthy people, toxic relationships, um, risky financial decisions, can you kind of stand back and observe your decisions, observe your friendships, observe your relationships, observe your, um, your perspective and, become the decider, right? Like become the mm. one that's that, like you said, teaching the, either the people around you or yourself, like, how can I get that, that high that makes life enjoyable to me in a way that not only feels good in the moment, but will have a lasting positive benefit instead of something that feels really good in the moment, because good can be confusing with comfortable, Hmm. Yeah. Right. So especially for fighters, just because something is comfortable and almost like, um, uh, you know, it's, and it might even like, it's confusing because it kind of does feel good in the moment. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm used to this. This Mm -hmm. I can handle. I remember a, a very good friend of mine who's a fighter. Um, and she, you know, helped me with this section of the book quite a bit. And we had, met some new friends and we were all going to dinner and it was, you know, when adults, when you meet new friends as adults, it can be, um, it can be a myriad of things. Right. But Mm -hmm. uh, the bottom line is that it was this lovely dinner with people that she hadn't met before. And they were all, you know, bright and interesting and fun and healthy. And, you know, we had this lovely time and she said to me the next day, all of those things, how wonderful all the women was, what a great dinner it was, and how viscerally sick to her stomach. I was going to say almost sick, but it wasn't. It was literally Mm. sick to her stomach afterwards. And I said, well, uh, help me understand, like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're saying it was good. You're saying you enjoyed these women. You're saying, you know, you had this positive experience help me understand why that was so caused so much visceral discomfort in you afterwards um and it was a really interesting thing to kind of just observe not judge not even try to figure out the reason just say huh here was the situation where I met these these women that were all kind and interesting and fun and we laughed and we had this great time what is it in me that mm, caused me to feel so uncomfortable in that. And can I acknowledge that, be kind to myself and say, you know, wow, I'm, I am really worthy of having people like this around me. I might be uncomfortable with it because it's so foreign. I'm not accustomed to it, but did I like it? Yes. Do I want more of it? Yes. Do I think I deserve it? Yes, kind of. I want to get there, right? (laughs) Right. And so just observing that 
and getting your body more and more comfortable being around healthy people, being around healthy environments. It's a, that's, that's the more lifelong journey that doesn't happen overnight. Right. Right. But if you're conscious of it and you're kind of just observing and noticing, okay, this is something I want more of and I want to become more comfortable with it because I'm exhausted. You know, often when we get into our fifties or sixties or forties, you know, fighters have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And I 100% agree. I was telling you before we started recording, we were kind of like, we should have been recording then. Mm -hmm. Like I am like this week, I'm exhausted because obviously if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I had trauma in my early childhood. Mm -hmm. Then I adopted a sibling group of four who had experienced a lot of trauma and my own bio kiddos before we adopted had capital letter syndromes. And I homeschooled, so recipe for a fighter right there. Right. And then, now that my kids are adulting, I'm running trauma-informed parenting. So right. yeah. <laughs> I might be addicted to fighting, right? <laughs> right. So it's a matter of, like, understanding your bandwidth. And, you know, it's something as simple as when you feel yourself compelled to add on to that, you mm-hmm. see somebody else in need, you just ask yourself, do I have the bandwidth to fight this fight? Like, can it wait? Can I delay? Can I find connect them with somebody else who has more of a bandwidth and, and is ready to get involved? Because two things, it's beautiful what you're doing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But you also need to maintain your own emotional bank account so that you can keep fighting all of the battles you've already committed to fighting. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened this week. I did a live trauma-informed parenting workshop, and it was amazing. But I always do like a trauma trigger. You know, you're going to be triggered during this workshop, even if you're learning about your kiddos. And Mm -hmm. I just, like, I'm such an empath as well that I left just, like, exhausted for the next two days And then I'm, you know, I don't know how many fighters do this, but it's like I when you were describing that scenario of going out Mm -hmm. with friends that are interesting Mm -hmm. and encouraging and exciting, my mind was saying, I don't deserve that. Yeah, I don't deserve to do that. I should be doing more workshops. I should, man, I am just like using you as a counseling session. Yeah. Well, and and that's the second part of what I wanted to say to fighters is, you know, you are not responsible to save everybody. Yeah. You're just not, you're not. And, you know, and this was, so I don't have the fighter tendency, but I have the empath tendency. And, And for me, I'm a dynamo. For me as a dynamo, um, what that looks like is understanding my own emotional um, bandwidth really, really clearly. And for Mm -hmm. me, I I know I could not do your work because Mm -hmm. as an empath, and I don't know how you do it as an empath, um, as an empath, I become completely not functional. Once I hear these stories, Mm -hmm. I uh, ruminate about them. I can't sleep about them. And I know that for me, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm no good to anybody then. I am no good to anybody because I can barely function. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I, I stay on the practical strategies to reduce stress and overwhelm. I stay on that side of it um, because I know for myself, uh, I become less functional when I try to take on very deep um, 
emotionally, you know, uh, traumatic uh, right. clients. Right. And yeah. who are dealing with that trauma. They often have it, but I'm not the one to help them move through it like you do. So, A, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have an interesting combination of empath and fighter. Um, and that's, that's super interesting and super challenging, which to me means you uh, not only need to put that much more time and energy into refueling your emotional bank account as much as possible, mm-hmm. as much as possible, because if this is your mission in life, um, then it's going to take a lot of refilling. You're, you know, you, you have a cup that's serving a lot of people and it needs to be refilled as often as possible if you want to keep doing this without causing yourself an eventual physical ailment or, you know, it's going to come out another way in your body. Right. Cause the body keeps the score. I know that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so if you want to keep this up, you almost, it's not a luxury. Like it's, it's, it's part of what is going to even make it possible for you to continue, um, is refilling. And I was just writing an article about this this morning, um, for psychology today about like what refuels, what refills your emotional bank account is going to be different when you're a fighter versus an executive mm. versus a lover. You know, each one of these, like what's going to refuel a, you know, a lover might be the opposite of what refuels a, a visionary, you know? So really, and, and the way you find what refuels you is often like <laughs> what, what sounds really weird to you. Like, like I like to say that like, you're going to know what it is when it's something that other people would go, really? Yeah. And really I, that? I know what mine is because it's okay. funny what you were saying earlier. Yeah. is like I literally wrote in my journal this morning, you don't have to save everyone, Kathleen. I was okay. like doing one of those morning journal just vomits. And, and I would, let's take it a bit further than that. Okay. Um, and I don't know, you know, what your kind of spiritual or universal, you know, belief is if you have one, but... I tend, what I find helpful personally is to say, everybody is here, you know, to learn a lesson and, and share their gifts with the world. And if we take on everybody, solving everybody else's problems for them, we're, we're taking away their chance to solve it for themselves. Mm, that's good. So not only are we, you can help, but at the end of the day, it's, their lesson in life that they are are resolving and by solving that for them we're we're taking away that opportunity for them to to grow from it so this doesn't mean you can't offer your help or support but it's not your responsibility and if you assume it is then that's not fair to them that's really good. I wrote that down, by the way. <laughs> but I know that one of my refueling, which people think is weird, is, and I had, I had written this in my journal too, like you yeah. haven't kayaked all week. There you go. I go kayaking. I ride my bike. I go on really long hikes where I run it, like literally almost ran into someone the other day because I wasn't paying attention on the trail because yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm in my zone. Yeah. And Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really good for parents to hear, like, you need to refuel, refill. And I know I remember when it was like 
second by second with kids who have trauma histories and capital letter syndromes, like you feel like you can't leave them for a second or they're really going to get themselves in danger, that you need to find somebody, you need to reach out for help. I will just say that because... Going it alone, I I did that for years, and I called them the silent years, where I just didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody what was going on at home. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. Right. And there are also, you know, there are neuro hacks that you can use in the moment. Like in the book, I have literally 60-second um, strategies, and these are normally what I call neuro hacks. So these are ways that, like, if you don't have time to go get a babysitter or go journal or mm, go for a yeah. walk or go for that bike ride what the heck do you do in the moment when your whole nervous system is agitated and you're in that fight or flight mode that, that as a fighter, you're going to be really comfortable with, but it's not always where you're going to make the best decisions. Right. Right. So what do you do? So in the book, I have a host of strategies that are the 60 second strategies. And these look like cross lateral movements, um, Chew, I'll just give one super simple example, chewing gum. So yes. chewing gum tells your brain that you are, you know, think your brain thinks you're eating, right? Mm-hmm. And with our Neanderthal brains, you know, we have not evolved very much <laughs> centuries <laughs> as, as humans, as mammals, right? So our brain thinks that you're eating. And if you're eating, that must mean you're safe. You're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. And because of that, oh, if you're eating, that means you're safe. That means we can let your brain go back or your brain, your blood go back from your extremities and your muscles back into your internal organs, back into your brain, your respiratory rate can go back to normal. Your blood pressure can go back down. So it's a way to fool your brain into thinking you're safe. And then your brain releases those neurochemicals associated with what you need to feel to feel more safe and cohesive. Cross-lateral movements work like that. There's a bunch of little tricks that you can do to help trick your brain into getting out of fight or flight mode. And that, what I love about those is you don't have to like logic your way through it. You don't have to gratitude your way through it. You don't have to meditate your way through it. You don't have to exercise through it, which are all amazing strategies as well, but those take more time Mm -hmm. and you don't always have that time or space in the moment. Or sometimes you don't want to. Because you're damn mad and you must stay mad, you know, (laughs) because this person deserves for you to be mad, you know, because they did something. And if you just forgive them right away and are calm, then they won't get it that it was, you know, then we get all like that about it, which is, which is human, you know, we all have those moments. So, um, so I also share a host of strategies that can be helpful when you don't have the bandwidth, the time, or even that logical mind, because you're in fight or flight response to deal with it in an emotionally healthy way. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, and that gum-chewing doctor, Karen Purvis, always tells us to, well, when she was alive, she'd say, give that to the kids for the same reason, you know, same reason you're saying, let kids chew gum. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, and there's so many fun little strategies like that. So, and then you... What you do when you're feeling good is you have those things around you. So I also have a thing I call super senses that, you know, if you're if you're a super smeller, if you're just really, really triggered by and soothed by smells, you know, you can use that to your advantage. You know, you go go to Target, spend ten dollars and get things that smell good to you if you're a tactile person, you know, and then you have those things around you that can soothe you 
when you're feeling agitated, and that can also lift your spirits when you need that energetic lift. Right. So we're out of time, but what is one last thing that you would like to tell the audience? Like if you had one piece of advice, like you had one minute to tell them, do this, this will help you right now. I would say giving yourself permit, not, no, I'm going to rewind to that. I'm going to say that this type of emotional self-care that we've been discussing is not a luxury. Mm. It's really a responsibility as, Mm. as a human contributing to this planet. And as a parent trying to be the best parent you can be taking care of yourself emotionally is not a a luxury. It's really a responsibility. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. And before you leave, tell people where they can find you. Yes, of course. So I'm at ambertrueblood.com. My quiz is at flourishquiz.com because it may be, you know, when it's not serving you, it's an anxiety style, but when it is serving you, it's really where you flourish. So I called it the flourish quiz. Um, So it's at flourishquiz.com. And then on my website, if you go to ambertrueblood.com and you put in your anxiety style and you put in where you got the book or it's on Audible as well, if you want to listen to it, and then I will email you like a guided meditation specific to your anxiety style, a guided mantra that's super short. It's like a four minute audio recording and a bunch of other really cool bonuses that will help serve and support you in, in your emotional journey. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today, Amber. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. I enjoyed it and I hope it was helpful to your listeners. I'm sure it was. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at trauma-informed parenting.com.